The Vape Passion Show, episode 52. This week's topics include the FDA answers questions about free samples and giveaways, the National Park Service will allow vaping in parks, Canadian researchers find no gateway effect with electronic cigarettes, 2700s and 21700s, slightly larger and more powerful batteries coming soon, a battery explosion knocks out seven teeth and causes second degree burns on a man in Idaho, battery safety tips from kasa.org, and e-juices that are diacetyl free. If you're planning on buying a vape product anytime soon and you want to support this show, go to vapepassion.com vendors and buy from one of those links. There are more than 50 popular vendors listed. I'll get a small commission for referring you, but it doesn't cost you anything extra. Welcome back to the Vape Passion Show. This is episode 52 and recording this on Sunday, January 22nd, 2017. So it's been a really stressful and busy week for me. Uh, it started when we decided to foster a dog. Uh, she's a six month old German Shepherd. So she's, she's still a puppy who doesn't really know any commands and is really hyper. Uh, and when we put her in her kennel for the night, she barks nonstop. So her barking has come down a little bit over the past week, but I might have to take some extended breaks while I'm recording this uh, just to let her get it out of her system. And then on Thursday, I lost several hours worth of work for my day job after my computer crashed and corrupted a file that I was working on. So I've been trying to make up the hours before bed and over the weekend, so that hasn't been fun. And then yesterday, uh, Saturday, we celebrated my daughter's third birthday, and that was really hectic. We had a lot of people over. I'm, I'm really not looking forward to future birthdays when she gets old enough to have a bunch of friends coming over. But So yeah, hectic week, um, but I hope the following week is much less stressful. Anyway, I got some more stuff in for review this week from HeavenGifts.com, and they sent me the OBS sub-engine and the sub-engine mini. So I got both of them here. I've only opened the sub-engine, not the mini yet but I've been using the sub-engine for nonstop for a week now, and I can already, and I already have a pretty good feeling of how that review is going to turn out. Basically, it's not a very good tank, um, at least not for flavor. It puts out massive amounts of vapor, but the flavor is practically non-existent by the time I get to the end of the tank. I've even tried using really super sweet e-juices, and it's still not very good. And those tanks, they're practically the exact same thing, just one is smaller than the other. So um, they use the same coils and everything, so I'm assuming that the flavor is going to be the same in the mini as it is in the, in the larger tank. Um, so that's just some quick thoughts on those tanks so far, but I'm going to keep using them for a while, see if I notice any difference. Um, Alright, so let's get into this week's topics. So first up, the FDA answers questions about free samples and giveaways. So the FDA is on a roll lately with releasing information that answers questions that many vape shops have been unsure of since the deeming regulations took effect in August of 2016. Last week, they released draft guidance relating to free samples of tobacco products, which would apply to vaping products as well. This includes non-monetary exchanges, membership and rewards programs, and contests. Like the draft guidance I talked about last week, this is a draft and is not finalized, but this is how the FDA is currently thinking about the regulations and gives us a good idea of what vape businesses should be doing to stay in compliance. So let's start with the free sample ban. This ban prohibits any business from distributing or causing to distribute free samples of any tobacco product, with the exception of it happening in a qualified adult-only facility, which would mean a business that verifies that all customers are 18 years of age or older. The FDA has also clarified that this ban includes components and parts of a tobacco product, which includes atomizers, clearomizers, and e-liquids. They didn't specifically mention the vaporizer itself, but I think that can be implied. They say that these components are included in the free sample ban because they are the most expensive requirement of vaping and removes the barrier of entry for minors to begin using electronic cigarettes. Retailers must charge consumers a monetary fee in order to receive a tobacco product. This means that a business can't give a tobacco product to someone in exchange for an email address or contact information. Consumers cannot receive products free of charge, 
but they can receive products at less than full price under certain circumstances, such as coupons and discounts, membership and reward programs, and contests and giveaways. So let's go through all three of those different things. First, coupons and discounts. So the free sample ban doesn't include a prohibition on coupons or discounts. Examples that the FDA provides that are acceptable include offering a 10% discount off the regular price, um, or taking $2 off the final price, or offering a buy one, get one free deal. All three examples are worded differently, but they all represent a percentage discount, which are okay. Coupons that allow consumers to get a free product in a separate transaction are not allowed. For example, a coupon that states, buy an atomizer now, get a coupon for a free bottle of e-juice later. That would be prohibited, unless there's a way to verify that the person with the coupon was the original purchaser. I would assume something like printing the purchaser's name on the coupon, or tying a barcode to the customer at the time of purchase would be okay, because uh, that would be, I would think, uh, be able to be verified by ID at a later time, but you know, I don't know, just uh, throwing some things out there. Uh, next up, membership and reward programs. So these provide free or discounted products and are not prohibited by the FDA as long as they meet certain requirements. For example, a rewards program can give customers a free bottle of e-juice after 10 holes are punched on their punch card, uh, but the bottle can only be given away when the customer is making a purchase. That means a bottle would have to be given to them on the 9th or 11th transaction, but they can't come in and redeem that bottle on the 10th transaction if they aren't buying something. And like with coupons, there is one big exception that says it can be given away without making a purchase if they can verify that the person redeeming the free product is the original purchaser. Membership programs that offer discounts to their members are also allowed, but membership programs are not allowed to give free products to members unless they can verify that the person getting the product is the original purchaser. All right, contests and giveaways. Um, this is a pretty big one. So these are allowed only if the prize is either not a tobacco product, or if it is, it's only provided along with a sales transaction that requires monetary payment. So here's an example. The prize in a giveaway can be a coupon for a free product, even a tobacco product, but it can only be redeemed at the time of of another tobacco purchase. This is actually something that scared a lot of reviewers away when the deeming regulations first took, took effect in August because giving away products is a big part of a lot of reviewers' channels. Um, reviewers slowly stopped caring over time and now it's pretty much business as usual these days. But now that the FDA has spelled this all out in this latest document, uh, it might be something reviewers should consider being more cautious of moving forward. The FDA's guidelines specifically say manufacturers, distributors, and retailers must follow these guidelines. But I don't know if a product reviewer would be included in that definition. The company giving product away to the reviewer to give away probably would though. Oh, and finally they talked about B2B exchanges. So the FDA says that they do not plan to enforce the free sample ban with respect to giving away products to other businesses as long as it's in limited quantities. That means a manufacturer can send a business their products to determine if it's something that they want to sell or market. To me, this sounds like a vape product vendor is allowed to give products away to product reviewers as well because it's for the purpose of bringing awareness and exposure to the product, which the, this FDA document says is okay. So there you go. Now we know a lot more about what the FDA thinks about free samples, discounts, giveaways, and product reviews. Again, this is still draft guidance, but it's how the FDA is thinking about these things right now. All right, let's move on to the next topic. So the National Park Service will allow vaping in parks. So the U.S. National Park Service released a statement on January 6th proposing a ban on electronic cigarettes in all national parks. The original proposal was open to public comments for a period of 60 days, 
But just 12 days later, that proposal has been withdrawn. Jeffrey Olson, a spokesperson for the MPS, National Park Service, said that the withdrawal is based upon a need to engage in additional interagency coordination and review of the proposal. That's pretty much all they've said about it. Nobody is really sure what that what they mean by interagency coordination. Some people believe that there may be some internal disagreements about the proposed ban, and some people think it might be because new regula regulations are pointless with the views of the incoming Congress and administration. Or it could be that they quickly learned that their original reasons for the ban were insignificant, such as the dangers of fires and secondhand exposure, both of which are practically non-issues. So for now, it looks like vaping is still okay in national parks. All right, let's talk some research. So Canadian researchers find no gateway effect with electronic cigarettes. Uh, the University of Victoria's Center for Addictions Research, UVic, issued a report on January 19th, 2017, titled Clearing the Air. This is a comprehensive 41-page report, and it looked at all available evidence on the potential harms of vaping and concluded that fears of electronic cigarettes being a gateway to other tobacco use is unfounded. Marjorie McDonald, a professor at UVic, was quoted as saying, There's no evidence that they have a gateway effect, that fears of a gateway effect are unjustified and overblown, and that vapor devices can be at least as effective as other means of helping people quit smoking. Their report shows the correlation between the drastic decreases in smoking with the rise of using electronic cigarettes, which they say shows that vaping is replacing smoking, not encouraging it. They also pointed out that nicotine does not cause cancer, vapor emission has far fewer toxins than cigarettes, and that secondhand exposure is minimal. In regards to exposure, it only results in small exposure to nicotine, but no significant exposure to carcinogens. The researchers do feel that the, de the devices and products need to be regulated to make sure that consumers are using only the safest products, but they clearly believe that vaping is a reasonable alternative to smoking. So the conclusion that this team came to is that regulation should be driven by the best current evidence rather than ungrounded fears of a gateway effect. Policy should be designed to help tobacco smokers quit and reduce harm. This is great research to see coming out of Canada. Hopefully their government considers it before creating policies. Unfortunately, as we've already seen in the U.S., anti-tobacco groups and the FDA are only interested in U.S.-based research, so this probably won't do as much good here, but with Robert Califf and Mitch Zeller most likely being replaced with uh, the Trump administration in office, maybe things will change. All right, let's talk batteries. So 2700s and 21700s. These are slightly larger and more powerful batteries coming soon. So these are new batteries coming to the market this year and experts believe that they will become the main future cell size. These new batteries are the 2700 and the 21700 batteries, and if you don't know, battery cells are named by their measurements. So for example, the most common batteries that we use for vaping are 18650s. Um, that means they're 18 millimeter in diameter and 65.0 millimeters tall. So these new batteries are 20 or 21 millimeters in diameter, and 70.0 millimeters tall. For a long time, 18650s have been the dominant battery size for most applications that require cylindrical batteries. Uh, with evolving technology, there's an increased demand for high capacity batteries, which has resulted in these new larger batteries. Samsung's new 21700 battery has been upgraded by 35% in energy volume compared to smaller 18650 batteries, and they will be used for various applications such as in laptops and electric tools. As far as cylindrical battery usage goes, these new batteries are expected to become the new standard. 2700 batteries also seem to have potential for becoming more popular. Um, E1 Moly, a battery manufacturer in Canada, has started mass production of these cells for one customer, and also Tesla. 
who is Panasonic's biggest customer of 18650 cells, has decided to switch to 2700 cells. So Panasonic, LG, and Samsung are all developing these larger batteries, and if these batteries take off, the smaller Chinese manufacturers plan to follow suit. This could mean that we might start seeing 21700 vape devices hitting the market. And if 21700 batteries really take off, I wonder what that might mean for 18650 devices uh, further down the road, you know, 10 years, 15 years from now, because manufacturers, they might stop making 18650s in favor of these larger batteries. I can't imagine that happening, but you never know. And expert battery tester Mooch, he has already started testing these larger size batteries. Based on performance tests, he rated the Sanyo 2700B as a 16 amp, 4,000 milliamp hour battery, which means that's a battery designed for lower wattage, but will hold a charge for a long time. Mooch also tested Sanyo's 2700A, which he's rated as a 30 amp, 3,100 milliamp hour battery. He says that it will run cool at 30 amps and that vapors can use this battery at a maximum of 45 amps, although 45 amps is pushing it. Either way, that's huge. 45 amps from a single battery. The wattage wars in China are never going to end with these batteries hitting the market. Pretty soon, we're going to have a 500 watt device in our hands. All right, and sticking with batteries, a battery explosion knocked out seven teeth and caused a second degree burns to a man in Idaho. So this is one of the biggest stories in the past week. Andrew Hall, he suffered from a battery exploding in his face while using his vaporizer. He recounted his story publicly on Facebook along with really graphic pictures of the damage to his face. He explained in his original post that he's been vaping for about a year now and that he's certain that he didn't do anything wrong to have caused the explosion. He says that the battery was in the correct position and that the vape shop would always service it and put it together to ensure it was being used correctly. Um, this raised some additional questions, obviously, to which he later clarified that he was using a mechanical mod, the Twisted RDA, Twisted Messes RDA, and he has been building his own coils ever since the FDA prohibited vape shops from building or installing coils in an atomizer. He's also stated that he has never had any issues with overheating until this incident, but he clearly didn't understand the importance of Ohm's Law and how it relates to vaping. Um, from what I'm seeing on the comments of his Facebook page, it seems that his build was 0.06 ohms, on an LG HD2 battery in a mech mod. The fact that he was using a mech mod means that there wasn't a computer chip that could regulate the battery. An atomizer built at 0.06 ohms would be drawing nearly 70 amps from a fully charged battery and even 55 amps from a drained battery. The LG HD2 is rated at 20 amps. So there is no battery in existence that can handle that setup. There are more than 240,000 comments on his original post and another 4,000 on the following updates. So I can't find where that information about the 0.06 ohm build comes from, but that's what I'm seeing in some of the top comments. Um, so I don't know how true it is, but the person from the story has confirmed everything else. Um, it's also believed that the Twisted Messes RDA he was using is a clone, which may have had faulty manufacturing. It's not common for a clone atomizer to have an issue that could cause a short, but it's certainly, certainly a possibility when low quality materials are used. But in this case, it's more likely that he had a build on his atomizer that pushed the battery, but beyond its limits. I actually really feel bad for this guy. A lot of vapors, they see stories like this and they start bashing the person for not understanding Ohm's Law and battery safety. I don't really agree with that. How many vapors know Ohm's Law before vaping? It's not something that an average person trying to quit smoking even realizes that they need to know. You know, a lot of people, they just go into a vape shop and expect the shop to help them through their first purchase. Why would a shop sell you something dangerous? In what other industries would something like that happen? None that I can think of. Sure, buying a chainsaw can be dangerous, and that's obvious, 
but are people also supposed to believe that vaping is dangerous now? I don't think vaping should feel that way to people, and that's why I hate when vape shops sell beginners a mechanical mod. And that's why I think that the responsibility of educating customers on Ohm's Law and battery safety needs to fall on the vendor. I'm not saying that vendors should be legally responsible for misuse, but they need to fully explain properly handling mech mods and batteries. They really shouldn't be selling mech mods to a beginner in the first place, but obviously there are a lot of shops out there that care more about money than keeping people safe. That's not to say that there aren't really great vape shops out there though that do explain this stuff to their customers. Another really important takeaway here from this story is that this might not have happened if the FDA didn't prohibit vape shops from helping customers set up their devices. If this guy's vape shop was allowed to build his coils, they would have never let him leave the shop with a, a 0.06 build on his atomizer. Anyway, this is just another example of why beginners and even advanced vapers should stick with regulated devices. Uh, and if you ever want to get into mech mods, make sure you do a, a lot of research and feel comfortable with Ohm's Law. Alright, and one more topic about battery safety. So, Casa.org released a guide on battery safety tips. So, there's been a lot of talk about battery safety lately, because there seems to be a lot of stories in the news about these vape explosions. Um, while the media claims that these explosions are caused by electronic cigarettes, the culprits are actually caused by improper use of the batteries that people are using in their devices. Look at any e-cig explosion in the news, and you'll see that in every case, they're happening to people using mechanical mods or people carrying loose spare batteries in their pockets. I can't think of one example where one of these disasters happened to anyone using a regulated device or someone who carries batteries in a protective case. So with all of these stories in the media right now, it makes sense that Casada.org would put out a guide to battery safety. So I'm going to run through some of the tips that they've compiled along with my own thoughts and insight for each tip. Alright, tip number one, every device has specific power requirements and you need to use the right batteries for your device. So I don't think this is a common issue since most devices only accept certain types and sizes of batteries like 18650s, but there have been several occasions where I've seen people on vape forums ask if it's okay to use 18650s that they found at places like Walmart. These batteries would be the Westinghouse 18650s which are not designed to handle the voltage that we use in our vaporizers and would be very dangerous to use for our, our purposes. I recommend buying only batteries that Mooch recommends. Uh, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Alright, number two, do not make any modifications to the device, including blocking ventilation slots. As far as blocking ventilation holes, you don't want to do that in case you have a battery failure. If a battery shorts to the point of venting, the gases wouldn't be able to escape and, you, and could lead to the device blowing up. So if you're putting stickers or a new wrap on your device, make sure that the vent holes are still open. And also, uh, with modifications, some modifications might require that you open up the device. And just like with any electronic device, you shouldn't open it if you don't have electrical experience. One reason would be that you could damage the board and cause a malfunction when you charge it or use the device in the future. And opening up a device would be especially dangerous in devices with built-in non-removable non batteries because these batteries might be soldered in. If you take apart a device and the solder disconnects, uh, and the battery touches another piece of metal, it could short and vent. Alright, tip number three, buy high quality batteries from a known source. Like I mentioned earlier, I highly recommend only buying batteries from Mooch's suggested batteries list. You also don't want to buy from sites like eBay because you might get batteries that have fake wraps on them. I suggest buying from sites like imrbatteries.com, alumin.com, leion, wholesale.com, and encon.nl. Those are the best places you can go. If you want to buy from a vape vendor, rtdvapor.com and vapenw.com are generally trustworthy. And I'll include uh, links to all of these in the show notes in case you didn't understand uh, the, the URLs that I just said. All right, tip number four, store batteries in a protective case or sleeve. So 
a lot of the battery explosions in the news are caused by loose batteries rolling around in pockets and coming into contact with metal of some kind, like keys or coins. The batteries that we use for vaping are not like the alkaline AA or AAA batteries that we use in other electronics. The lithium ion batteries that we use can short if metal comes into contact with the positive and negative parts of the battery. Sleeves and cases are really cheap, anywhere from 50 cents to a couple dollars, so it's worth it. All right, tip number five, never exceed the rated capacity ratings of a battery and don't go by pulse ratings. Batteries have different ratings. Uh, the Sony VTC4, for example, is rated for 30 amps continuous. Some batteries might claim upwards of 50 amps pulse, but this isn't a safe rating because pulse ratings are not tested to any standards. One battery might be tested at one second pulse every minute, and another battery might be tested at five second pulses every 20 seconds. It's just not a safe rating to follow. So going back to the continuous rating of 30 amps of the VTC4, this means that you shouldn't draw more than 30 amps from the battery. If you're using a mech mod with an atomizer built at 0.1 ohms, for example, on paper you would be drawing 42 amps from a 30 amp battery that would not be safe. Now a lot of uh, expert mech mod users would say that you would actually be drawing less due to voltage drop, but I wouldn't recommend pushing these limitations either way. Exceeding ratings isn't as big of a problem in a regulated device, but it can be. Um, the Westinghouse batteries that I talked about earlier are a good example of a battery that wouldn't be safe to use in any vape device because they can't exceed uh, 1.2 volts or 6 amps. And if you want to figure out what your atomizer will draw from the battery, particularly for mech mod users, use an Ohm's Law calculator uh, to figure it out. And I like the calculator at steam-engine.org. All right, tip number six, do not drop batteries. And if you do, inspect for damage. I've talked about this a little bit before. And basically, if the battery dents, you risk having an internal short. Uh, for one, a dent in the top of the battery can cause the positive contact to touch the venting disc. Also, there are many layers within a battery, and a dent can cause these layers to touch each other or fold over. There's no way to know how big of a dent might cause a short, but you should probably just buy a new battery if you drop it. If you don't feel like your battery has suffered a big enough fall to worry about, just make sure to check for a torn wrap. If any of that battery is exposed beneath the wrap, rewrap it or buy a new one. Alright, tip number seven, do not subject batteries to extreme temperatures. So, extreme temperatures include both cold and hot. Uh, at temperatures below freezing, or 32 degrees Fahrenheit, charging a battery can cause plating of metallic lithium, which is permanent damage and makes the battery vulnerable to failure from vibration or stress. The document from CASA says that freezing a battery can cause the electrolytes to freeze and crack the battery, but from what I can find in my research, electrolytes in uh, lithium-ion batteries will not freeze until it reaches negative 40 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's probably not likely unless you live in the coldest places of Russia. Now as for uh, extreme heat, charging or using batteries at high temperatures above 113 degrees Fahrenheit for prolonged periods of time will degrade the performance of the battery. Uh, storing a battery above 104 degrees will result in anywhere from 15% to 35% permanent capacity loss after a year. All right, tip number eight, if the battery gets hot during use, stop. It's pretty typical for a battery to get warm while vaping, but if the battery gets hot, that's a problem. It could mean that you have a short. For example, the battery might be damaged or your atomizer might have a short somewhere. You might also be pushing your battery beyond its limits if the battery gets hot. If you do notice that the battery is hot, put it in a fire safe place where it won't harm anyone until you know that it's safe. You should consider buying a new battery in this case, especially if you can't find the reason for the short. All right, tip number nine, use a quality charger designed for lithium ion batteries. Using a cheap or low quality charger might charge your batteries too fast, which could cause permanent damage. Uh, my recommendation would be to use a reputable charger from a company like Xtar, Nightcore, or Efest. Uh, that would be for external batteries. 
If you're charging a device with internal batteries, you should only use the manufacturer's recommended charger or charging cable. Uh, a cheap knockoff charger, um, either for external or internal batteries, could overcharge your batteries and cause a fire. Tip number 10, batteries should be replaced after a year. This is a recommendation from Casa that is very conservative because batteries tend to last longer than a year and even old batteries aren't likely to result in a dangerous situation. But it's good to know that after around a year, your batteries will hold less charge and might not last as long. So if you put high stress on your batteries, uh, you might see poor performance after about six months. Okay, tip number 11, never use a battery with a damaged wrap. This is a serious issue that should not be ignored and I see it happening all the time when I look at forums. Um, a torn battery wrap, it exposes the metal of the battery and that absolutely needs to be covered. If that exposed battery touches metal while the contacts are, all, are also touching metal, it will cause a short. So if you have a damaged wrap, you should either toss the battery or rewrap it yourself. You can get 10 wraps for really cheap. Uh, for 18650 batteries from imrbatteries.com, you can get them for uh, 10, 10 for a dollar. So they're not expensive by any means. Um, I've also heard that you can use electrical tape, but keep in mind that not all electrical tape is created equal. Um, you should only use something like Super 33 Plus electrical tape. I personally would never use electrical tape to fix a torn wrap, but I'm mentioning it just because I've seen people doing it and I wanna caution against using low quality electrical tape. All right, and I also wanted to offer two of my own tips. So tip number 12, don't charge overnight. Most chargers can detect when a battery is fully charged and will shut off, but malfunctions do happen and a charger might keep going until the battery overheats and starts a fire. I, I never charge a battery overnight and I try to only charge my batteries when I'm in the same room as the batteries. All right, and finally, tip number 13, use proper orientation in mechanical mods. So if the battery is placed into a mech mod upside down, current will flow through at almost zero resistance and will immediately exceed amp limits of that battery. So definitely make sure that your batteries are in the right position, especially for mech mods. Most regulated devices have protections in place for that. So those are the basic tips that you should know. That guide from Casa it also includes information about uh, why battery safety is important, um, how lithium ion batteries work, how they're made, how they can fail, and what to do when something goes wrong. So if you want to learn more about battery basics, I highly recommend giving it a read. All right, now let's talk about e-juices that are diacetyl-free. So I received a comment on one of my videos the other day from someone asking if I had any advice on e-juice companies who sell diacetyl-free e-juice. If you don't know what diacetyl is, it's basically a chemical used to give flavorings a buttery taste. Uh, it's used in things like butter, margarine, and other foods. It's also a naturally occurring chemical of foods like apples, beans, and honey. Flavoring manufacturers use diacetyl to give their flavorings a buttery taste, and e-juice makers use those flavorings for the same reason. It was more commonly found in e-juices like custards. So the concerns about diacetyl came about after eight workers in a popcorn factory developed serious and irreversible lung disease called bronchiolitis obliterans after being exposed to very high levels of diacetyl over the course of several years. I don't believe that, that it was ever absolutely proven that diacetyl was the cause, but it is believed to be the cause. Um, that, that lung disease has since been dubbed popcorn lung. Um, so when vapors realized that diacetyl was in their e-juice, they obviously started to freak out. There are a lot of people who don't believe that diacetyl is an issue with vaping because we get such low doses of it. Um, in fact, smoking a cigarette has magnitudes higher levels of diacetyl than vaping, and nobody has ever been diagnosed with popcorn lung due to smoking, as, as far as we know. But nonetheless, there's no reason to vape something that could be potentially harmful, so some people choose to avoid it when they can. It's really not all that common to find e-juice that still has diacetyl in it, since most vendors have moved away from it over the last couple of years with all this drama. Some probably still do though, so if you want to be sure, or at least mostly sure, 
that your e-juice doesn't have diacetyl, check out the supplier list on the electronic cigarette subreddit on reddit.com. The supplier list is a, is a great place to find vendors who have coupon codes and to find user submitted information about those vendors like shipping information, cautionary notes, and other things. And if you look in the far right column, you'll see that they list whether or not the company listed sells diacetyl-free e-juice. This column only exists for US-based vendors, so that kind of sucks. But the supplier sheet also has coupon codes and other notes for vendors in other countries, so definitely check it out no matter where you're at and if your favorite vendor isn't listed here send them an email most vendors will gladly respond to your question if if their e-juice has diacetyl in it okay that's all i have for this week you'll find the show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com if you want to support the show consider donating to my patreon page at patreon.com slash vapepassion you can follow me on twitter at vapepassion and i'm also on facebook if you want to leave me a comment if you like the show i'd love it if you gave me a review on itunes you can also catch the video version of the podcast on youtube if you'd like to get notifications of new reviews or of the show you can sign up to receive my weekly email on vapepassion.com and if you have any questions or comments feel free to email me anytime at alex at vapepassion.com all right i'll see you next week